Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back to Food for Thought, everyone. Thanks for listening. Leadership is defined as influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Leaders lead. They are not absent in a time of crisis. Leaders influence. They build relationship, and they build on relationships. Leaders create positive change, not just chaos, carnage, or wreckage. They leave things better than they found them. Leaders solve problems. Fix the problem and not just the blame. We've had a parade of who's who of leaders and influencers as guests on this show, Food for Thought. Jim Robinson, of the CEO of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan, told the story of how he realized the food insecurity rate of children in Michigan and had to get involved and impact their future. Jim is retiring, and his successor, Don Simon, will be our guest on an upcoming edition of Food for Thought. So thank you, gentlemen, for caring about Michigan and leading a company that cares. Rob Fowler, a thoughtful leader who stands in the gap for so many Michigan families who start, own, and operate small businesses across our state, will return to our show as well. Today's show is no different. Today we have tested leaders who don't shrink in the midst of a crisis, who are steady influencers for good and work to create positive change. They are helping to solve problems from Syria to Saginaw. Today, U.S. Congressman Dan Kildee and the United States Senator from Michigan, Debbie Stabenow, are our guests on Food for Thought. We're recording from the beautiful parlor of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island at the Detroit Regional Chamber Policy Conference. You come back and be with Jerry and I in just a moment, and we'll continue on Food for Thought. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. It's Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson and I are here in the parlor of the Grand Hotel in Mackinac Island. Jerry, um, we come to this policy conference because we want to change the conversation. And it's changing. You know, and when you talk to people like Dan and Debbie, you get a sense of how many priorities there are out there. There's lots of tough conversations. There's lots of issues that people want to fix from roads to insurance policies to, you know, everything in between. They're all important. And I think when we talk about food first, and that's what we're up here talking about, food right. first. And when we're talking about that, we're trying to make the case that as important as those priorities are, and as much as they need funding, you're going to get less far if we don't make sure to address this issue of food insecurity, which affects a lot of things. It affects the way people think. It affects the way they behave. It affects children's learning. It, it affects people's attention while they're driving on the road, if you want to get that far. Hey, were you talking to me? <laughs> I'm hungry. Time for lunch. <laughs> Time okay. for lunch. So, yeah, so it, it does. And, you know, we're, we're having conversations that we've never had before in the history of our work. I mean, the pilots that are occurring in healthcare, and just, you know, the, not to date the show, but coming up very soon after the show, 
there's going to be conversations with school districts about how do we help them achieve the educational outcomes that they are mandated and that they both also desire. Well, and they're doing a lot. And so people know kids are getting certainly lunch at school. Most people know kids are getting also breakfast at school. There's other programs that schools could have, and many do, particularly over the summer, but also after school. And still we have kids coming to school that aren't eating enough, that are distracted or tired or acting out in class because the food they're getting at home isn't the right food or it's not enough food. Um, And people say, why? How could this be? Well, you start answering that by breaking things down sitting down with the school district and saying, what programs are you using? What do we know? We've got data now with Michigan Map that tells us how many of the kids in your school district are actually um, coming from an unemployed house or coming from a situation where they're getting other government assistance that's trying to help them. So we can start to craft better solutions with the school to say we know that households, not just kids, need to be food secure if you want a stable environment for a child so they can learn. Now, does food fix everything? No. But in order to fix everything, you've got to put food first. Well, that's it. That's the concept of food first. We're not saying that it solves, you know, it's it's the answer or the entire solution. The point being is simply this. No matter what you do, what you are doing, if you're not solving food insecurity in a person's life that you're trying to get ready for workforce, then they're not going to get there and you're not going to have the worker. And we just had this conversation here on the parlor floor with some people who are are working in the area of developing the next workforce for Michigan. Right. Big topic here. One of the, I thought, pretty fun things that happened was when we were walking between the Grand Hotel and downtown Mackinac, and you ran into one of the legislators who said to us, you know what, last year... You talked to us about the self-sufficiency standard, and you talked to us about the benefits cliff, mm-hmm. and putting those things together to say, we've got to make sure that that we align benefits with working in a way that doesn't punish people for working. And what did he say to you? He said, uh, this is Senator Wayne Schmidt from uh, Tra- the Traverse City area. And Wayne said, Senator Schmidt said, you know, your name came up, these studies came up in uh, recent hearings, and it... It is like, you know, we have got to create policies that stop dropping people off of the financial cliff. We need to craft policies that reward people for working and not punish them for their industry. And I'm like, somebody has heard the gospel. <laughs> well, and so it goes, right? So so we're up here with the gospel again, right? And we're, we're, we can talk about progress. We can talk about that a year ago, we were just starting to get the data. We, we were commissioning the study. We were, we were hopeful that it would help. Now, a year later, we can bring that data to the same people, many of them are the same, and say, Remember when we talked about this? Here's the data. Here's what it shows. And here's why changing these policies actually will make a difference. And here's how many people it will help, how many people are affected, and what the economic impact of this change could be for the state. Well, it's it's absolutely true. If If we create food security across Michigan, I'm telling you, from communities to children, 
are going to change, and they're going to change drastically and for the better. And people ask me all the time, you know, Jerry, it's a better economy. Why do people still need help? Well, it's a complex question, but what I can tell you is this. We know much more about how many people we're talking about that haven't been pulled along by the economy than ever. We know that half the people that come to get food help are employed. Right. right. So we know that the link between employment and food security isn't as strong as it used to be. Right. Well, so why is that? Well, change is hard for people. Getting the training you need to participate in this economy is hard for people. A lot of people are trying to do it. But to try to do that, pay the rent, raise a couple kids, it's really, really hard work. So the solutions we're talking about by helping people through these times will promote success for them and more success for the economy. Well, let's continue the conversation here on Mackinac. We're at the Grand Hotel, sitting in the parlor at WJR Studios. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, this is Food for Thought, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Welcome back, everyone. It's Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson and I here at the parlor of the Grand Hotel in Mackinac, and our guest Congressman Dan Kildee, my congressman. All right. So That's good. Thank you. Uh, well, no, thank you. Dan, uh, we've talked to uh, you a couple of times um, about this issue of food insecurity right. across our state, but in particularly, it was highlighted during the Flint water crisis. And um, I think every time I introduce you, I introduce you as a man who stands in the gap for people who can't stand for themselves. Uh, and I'm not sure there's a better compliment. Yeah, that, that is a high compliment. I, I appreciate that very much. That's the way I view my job. You know, I represent folks, and the only way I can do that is by understanding their interests and speaking up for them. Right. Well, we've uh, published a study here at the Food Bank Council representing all seven food banks across the state called the Self-Sufficiency Standard, and we know exactly what it cost for a family of any type, 719 different household types, Jerry, that yeah. we studied all across all 83 counties. And we know the number, the dollar amount they need to make per year, per month, per hour. And um, and so one of the things we wanted to talk to you about was in the context of food insecurity about policies that really um, help people continue with their benefits while they're working rather than have policies that punish people because they are working. Right. You know, we tend to drop people off a financial cliff after they make $11.50 an hour. Right. And so... And we know that's not a wage that supports a family and allows them to have any kind of aspiration for themselves right. at all, other than the, the aspiration to survive, which in the United States of America in the 21st century, uh, that's criminal. Uh, yeah. No question about it. It, it, it. You know, it's criminal. It's, it's like it's almost immoral. It and, is immoral. You know, I had Senator Wayne Smith stop me in the hall yesterday and talk about this study, this self-sufficiency standard, and say, you know, Phil, we're dropping people off the cliff here, and we're penalizing them for having the industry to work. And yet, you know, we're putting we're putting mandates on people to work. Now, we're all for work. Right. You know, but... There is a disconnect between being employed and being food secure that used not to be. That's for sure. And I actually think the whole conversation often in the public sphere ends up starting with a false premise. Mm -hmm. And the false premise being that people who are living uh, in poverty, who are food insecure and have all the other challenges, uh, don't have the same values 
don't have the same aspirations, don't have the same hopes. They're just right. folks who have fallen on hard times and are in a tough situation and are structurally sort of bound out of the, uh, the, the mainstream of the economy. But they want to work. They want to do everything that we want to do. I right. mean, the idea that there's some, there's some difference between the values of people who are poor and the values of people who are fortunate, right. who are lucky, like I West, was. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a false construct. So this notion of work, I think you're hitting it right on the nose. The question ought not be, should we have work requirements? The question ought to be, are we going to be able to support folks in terms of their needs, food security being a principal one? I mean, you think mm -hmm. about the fundamental hierarchy of needs. Food's pretty right. critical. The idea mm -hmm. that we would begin to sort of have a metric that says, nope, 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 nope. You're doing just barely enough, uh, well enough, that we're going to take away this essential human need. Uh, it's, it's, it's not moral under any circumstance. But when we think about the distribution of wealth in the wealthiest society on earth, at the wealthiest moment in its history, right. the idea that this conversation has to take on the, 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 the course that it has is, is pretty sad in a way. Right. But you know what? I think you know, you're doing, what you're doing is, is fighting the good fight and helping to reframe this, and I, I just think we need to continue this discussion everywhere we go. Well, the whole point of the show is to do what, Jerry? Change the conversation. Absolutely right. Because, you know, you, if you start out not knowing, how can you expect anyone to do anything? Right. right. So we got to get in a place where we can know. And once we know, we can do better. And I would say that your sentiments are the sentiments reflected quite often. And what people are wanting is a solution. Yeah. So what's the answer, right? So, so I think that your point is perfectly made in that it, it isn't the right place to be when we have the wealth that we need to solve these problems. And we know people want to work. It, let, put it in a different way, too. So imagine you're the person making minimum wage and you got a couple kids. You've worked 65 hours this week in a really hard job. You get home and you still can't pay the bills. How many months are you going to work that job? Right. And you can say, well, why didn't you get training? I just worked 65 hours yeah, this yeah. week, like, and now you want me to get training. Yeah. And you want me to raise my kids, and you want me to make sure they're in school. And you want me to make sure to fix my flat tire on my car so I can drive myself to work because, hey, we're not going to support transportation either. <laughs> now, I know that's a hot topic, and I'm not going to get too deep into it. But the bottom line is True. you cannot want all those things and do nothing about fundamentally that person who's got to come home with that wage that can't support their family. You know, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, although uh, since I grew up in modest means, I didn't know it, but I did. Uh, I didn't know it at the time because right. the basic needs were taken care of, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I feel like I was fortunate. But uh, right after I got elected to Congress, I participated in a, in a poverty simulation. And the reason I say I'm embarrassed to admit it is that I'd forgotten how hard it was. Yeah. And this was like a one-day simulation. This wasn't like I threw myself you know, into it for a long time. It's hard. The, the poor folks in America are the hardest working people in the, in the whole country. And they, they work hard every day to have their basic needs met. And the idea, this is, this is the frustrating thing about the conversation that's taking place in, among policymakers. The idea that these folks, who are the hardest working people I know, right. should have all these additional burdens placed on them in order to justify our society... Ensuring the promise of Matthew 25 be applied to them, it's a pretty painful thing to watch. Wow. It really is. Yeah. So that, you know, that is the conversation. And that's why we have to continue to have this conversation with influencers like yourself 
and um, and gain the perspective. And you know, I can't imagine. We talked about this just recently in a board meeting for the Food Bank Council of Michigan that we have a lot of data, and it's good data. Here's what we don't understand. And Jerry, you brought the point up. How hard is it emotionally to continue to get up and go to work every day knowing it's never going to be enough? It's hard to imagine. I mean, it's hard to imagine how a person conjures up the motivation and maintains the, 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 the human dignity that ought to be afforded everyone. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge to, to one's basic dignity to have to face that question. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, so there's a lot of great things happening in this space. And, um, you know, uh, that self-sufficiency study that we talked powerful. with you about. Very in your, powerful. In your office, and you've used uh, yeah. uh, in some of your uh, speeches and, and legislative uh, opportunities. And so that's telling the story. I think it's really telling the story, and it's uh, helping us understand here's where we need to be in order for people not to need any of us. Yeah, and the struggle for me is I, I don't like playing defense. I don't like having to defend what have been traditionally you know, uh, government investments that are intended to ensure people have something, you know, the, sort of the basic elements of a decent life. Because I think we can do a lot better than that. I think we can do a lot better than just defending what has been in place for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where the conversation and, and this, the, the, the data that you presented is so powerful. Because most of the data otherwise is all calibrated around the poverty uh, the standard. Right. Which, to me, I mean, first of all, it's, it's not accurate. And right. secondly, it's kind of pathetic that right. we would say, okay, that's an acceptable standard. Right. Because w- w- what do we know about what what that means for those families. So in other words, if you're barely able to maintain that standard of living, what, what do you leave? What's the next generation going to look like? What's the contribution you're going to make to your community? What's the contribution that they can expect from you to make? Right, uh, exactly. It's, it's, it's a tough thing. He's Congressman Dan Kildee. He's my congressman. All right. And uh, we're excited to have you here back on Food for Thought. So um, you got some... You got some challenges down in uh, that home office down there in D.C. Sure. Uh, w- how can we help you? What's some of the things that you're facing that we need to walk alongside of you with? Well, I mean, obviously the big fight for us generally revolves around budget questions. Right. Uh, a budget is, is a statement of a country's values. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think the problem we have and what I, I think we all need some help with is holding policymakers to account Right. Uh, so that the budget that we adopt actually is a reflection of our stated values. Because mm. left, right, and center, folks all believe that we ought to protect the, the basic human, human dignity of every individual. That, that We ought not have a country as wealthy as this one uh, that doesn't provide opportunity for everyone. But the budget somehow gets taken out of the value conversation. Right. And it turns into some sort of a transactional venture. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I, I just think... The more conversation we can have that holds us, holds policymakers accountable for the value basis for the judgments we make when it comes to the federal budget. And the farm bill is a good example. Good, good example on uh, that. We and talk a good game, and we actually talk about how the connection between our producers and those who have nutritional needs are connected to one another. But what we're seeing right now is a disconnect on that. And so some, uh, I, think, I think holding people accountable for that, I think, is really important. And in, in this particular moment, in the next couple of months, we're going to see all that come 
And it looks like you've got a vote coming up on June 22nd. We do. We've got like a re-vote on the House bill. And I'm I'm not entirely convinced that that vote will take place, although the Speaker says it will. So I I don't have any reason necessarily to doubt him. But I don't know what the the effect of it will be. I mean, this... um, the, the hope is that you know our allies in the Senate will produce a much better product, and we're going to be able to, you know, uh, maintain a really strong support for the nutritional title. And of course, what I want to see is us get um, the the incentives built into the SNAP program put right. into a, a, a funded at a permanent level, so that we're not continually fighting this battle, and so that we can have programs like the Double Up Food uh, Bucks program extend to more people in, in more meaningful ways. Right. That's the that's the fight we're in right now. Well, we're walking alongside of you, aren't we, Jerry? Every day. Every day, and we appreciate it. We really do. You've been a champion for this and for people, and we're very grateful for the work that you've done and continue to do. Oh, thanks. You know, you, you make my job easier, arming me with good information. Uh, and, you know, our, our best argument is just to lay the facts out and, yeah. uh, and, and, and hold people to account for, for the decisions that they make. So. Love it. United States Congressman Dan Kildee, thanks for being back on Food for Thought. Let's keep the conversation going. Absolutely. Thank you, and thanks for everything you do. Uh, We appreciate you. Jerry and I will be right back in just a moment. This is Food for Thought on WJR. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. It's Food for Thought. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson, and very excited to have our United States Senator, Debbie Stabenow, a champion for all of those who are food insecure across our state. And, uh, Good to be Sen- with you, Phil. Thank you. Well, Senator Stabenow, And you across have- the country. I have to I, put that in well, there. Well, that's true. Thank you. That's thank true. you. Thank that's you. true. <laughs> uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, your um, influence is across the nation, and uh, but particularly felt here at home, and we thank you for your service. Well, it's it's really an honor. I'm, I'm very appreciative of being in a spot where I can try to make a difference. Well, uh, one of the big places that uh, affects all of us in this work of trying to shorten the lines for food insecure right. folks. Right. Um, we know the, the federal poverty standard is what it is. It's 60 some odd years old. It's right. not accurate. Right. And we'd all like to replace it. And But what we've found in our research here in Michigan is that we have a lot of families who are above the poverty line, but they're nowhere close right. to being self-sufficient. Right. Right. And that's the people that we're standing in the gap for. Yeah, absolutely. Every day. I mean, we, we have, in fact, in Michigan, as you know, we have one out of six children that are food insecure that don't know literally where their next meal is going to come from. Right. One out of six children. And um, and most of them uh, have uh, moms and dads that are working. This is right. not about not working. This is about folks that are working a minimum wage job. They're maybe working a part-time, two part-time jobs, maybe right. three part-time jobs or seasonal work or whatever they're in and out of the kind of you know trying to just hold things together right and then we know here in Michigan of the study we've done that if you make up more than eleven dollars and fifty cents an hour you're ineligible for any benefits so we're dropping people off the cliff there and we're making it very difficult for them to pull themselves out. They've got to make seventeen fifty an hour to be back where they were right. prior to eleven fifty with their benefits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we need to be looking at the whole system, and in the meantime, we certainly don't want to go backwards. Right. And so, I mean, I, and I think we're at a moment. It's very important that we look at what's real for families, not somebody's caricature, not right. some rhetoric that has no 
reality to it. Yeah. But what's happening for real families in Michigan? What's happening for real people? Yeah. Uh, th- again, the vast majority of whom are working. And yes. So they're, they're just in a spot that they're working really hard, but it's not a good paying job that's going to be able to lift them out of poverty and allow them to uh, be able to feed their families and have a home and all the other things that we expect and take for granted. Well, Jerry, what percentage of people are coming to our network that are employed? Right, 47%. 47% of the people we see are employed, which means, you know, the, the idea that people um, are somehow not wanting to participate in the economy right. just doesn't hold with what right. we actually see. Right. Right. And so, and when you look at the people who aren't employed, well, 30% are children. Right. It's so children, I, seniors. We do have laws against people, that. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying. Well, so far. So far. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But, but children, seniors, people with disabilities. Exactly right. 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 So, so people want to work That's and. Fun. And, and one of the things that we, we talk about a lot, and it's really important now as this farm bill is being de- debated, yes. to continue to talk about the role that these benefits have in helping people succeed. And, and we know that that's a primary role. It isn't something that's just helping people maintain. It, though it does help people maintain, right. it's really intended to help people be successful. And when we know that 47% of the people that we have are already working, most of them would like to get a better job. Of course. Right. But how can you afford to go to training? I mean, we just had this conversation recently. If someone is working 65 hours a week and still can't make ends meet, how can you expect them to go to training to get a higher paying job? Right. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to be thoughtful about the integration of this work ideal, what it takes to make the wages you need, and what help you need in the meantime. Right. So with that, tell us about the Farm Bill. Where are we headed? What's happening? Well, we're certainly in the Senate not going to do what they did in the House. And uh, we will come forward with a bipartisan bill. And as I talk about all the time, I mean, the, the Farm Bill is really, it's agricultural policy, it's conservation, it's food and nutrition policy and access. Uh, It's a whole range of things, bioenergy, trade, and so on. But it really puts in place two different safety nets, one for families and one for farmers. And interestingly, the family safety net, uh, we're actually now spending less on because of the economy and more people going back to work. Because of uh, our policies and uh, and additional uh, work that we've done, we're actually going to save almost $90 billion in the next 10 years on the family safety net, on SNAP and so on, because as p- the economy improves and people are able to get a better paying job and so on, they don't need food help. So it does right. what we want. Sure. It's there if people need it. And then when they are able to move into a better paying job, then they're able to go on and not right. need it. Farmers also have a safety net. They're it's the riskiest business in the world. There's sure. weather disasters. There's pricing disasters. There's trade issues. So f- interestingly, the farm safety net is the one that we're actually spending more money on now because prices have dropped and there's a lot of weather disasters and so on. So we have these two safety nets. And right. the deal uh, that was made in putting the farm bill together is that we would support both families sure. and farmers. And right. so... That's what we're going to do in the Senate. We're going right. to have a farm bill that is based on um, not only 
more access to food, bet better quality food. I mean, we're doing a lot more around farmers markets and school gardens and community gardens. Right. And one of the things I love is that we have school gardens all across Michigan now. I think there's more than 80 in Detroit alone in, right. in the public schools so that kids are learning that food doesn't come from the grocery store. It actually right. starts yeah. somewhere exactly. else. And, uh, and they're also more likely to eat fruits and vegetables if they help to grow them. Right. And so, uh, and community gardens we're seeing in communities where a neighborhood, right. um, you know, if, if there's a neighborhood where there's a blighted home that's been taken down, very often a community garden is put in this place. And right. so the community is able then to have more access to healthy food. So this is a whole network of, um, of ways, in addition to SNAP, to make food available, healthy foods available, not only in the school year, but also in the summer. So. Well, I think that's an emphasis that we've seen shift in our world in the food bank world right last year we distributed 181 million pounds across our network almost 80 million pounds of that 181 was fresh michigan produce that's great that's really great so you know some of the people that are happiest about that are healthcare folks right exactly <laughs> exactly and well, our farmers by the way <laughs> that's because, right you know this is an important deal here our farmers uh, and by the way grocery stores and others in the food business um, ha- have not been happy about what the house was talking about to be you know rolling back food access and so right. on through snap because um, ultimately when folks are able to buy food then they're helping farmers as well and sure. and others in the the food business. Well, and one of the things we've been talking about is, you know, reframing that whole part of the conversation from SNAP as an entitlement to SNAP as an investment. Right. And so we know that it's an investment in the economy because the money doesn't stay in people's pocket, right? right? They spend it. So when you give people money to spend, they spend it. And so spending the money generates some economic benefit, and we know that's true. But besides the direct economic benefit, it also has the benefit of Getting people out of the cycle of having less and less resources to use. So they buy food that's filling, right. but not necessarily the best for them. So you see type 2 diabetes, you see heart disease, right. you see right. hypertension, exactly. and food insecurity is actually driving those diseases right. up. So by, by making an investment in SNAP, we're actually lowering the cost of living for people over time. Right. And not just the people receiving SNAP, but our whole community, because who is going to pay for those health care things? Right. We're all going to pay. We're all paying if somebody is uh, has some kind of a challenge, whether it's diabetes or whether it's um, early onset heart disease mm-hmm. or anything else. I mean, right. we all so uh, we we all benefit if people have the opportunity to be healthy, and and food is certainly an incredibly important part of that. Well, it seems that whole triple aim of healthcare. Tell us what those are again. Community health. Cost, uh, cost, right? Lower cost, patient health, that's the individual, and population health, which is everybody combined, right? Okay. That's the triple aim, right. improvements right. in all three of those things. And if you put what, where? If you put food in the middle of that triangle, healthy food, nothing moves those three further faster. Not yep. Snickers yep. now. Oh, come on. Oh, man. <laughs> we don't mention brands. We no, don't mention yeah, brands. Right. So yeah. the reason I do that is because, you know, we... we, we, we one of the ways that we deal with difficult situations in the Western world, yeah, and we've talked about this, you know, I've lived in right. the Eastern world, and right, right. the Western world is we use humor. And so there are commercials out there that when somebody gets a little hangry, we invent words even, right? then they throw them a candy bar. Right. There you go. Right. 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 And they eat that, and then they come back to be their own. 
It's the way that we in the Western world dis, you know, disarm a very difficult topic. Right, right. And the danger in that is that it becomes acceptable to us. So six, one out of six kids, 22, 23% right. of kids in Michigan don't know if they're going to have enough food tomorrow exactly. or today. Exactly. And, and then 16% of the general population. Right. And, Senator, I just, you know, just from a personal standpoint, personal motivation, it's just unacceptable. You know, it is unacceptable. And we're, we're a great country. We're a great people. Um, we, we're a, a wealthy country overall. Um, we have to just decide that this is not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make sure that in this great country, children go, go to bed hungry at night or wake up in the morning and go to school and can't focus on their math class because their tummies are growling and they're, you know, they've got headaches and they can't function. Or, or moms and dads trying to get up and, and go to work and so on. I mean, right. we, we don't have to accept this. I mean, if, you know, we're not talking about luxury here. No. We're talking about basic food and the, the dignity of knowing that you're going to be able to feed your children and, and, uh, and, and also have a job that will allow you to be independent and successful and, and so on. But, but food's pretty basic. None of us would uh, decide that that's okay to choose uh, to give up food. Right. And so I think we just need to make a decision that all of us together are going to make sure this is one of the foundations for every child, every family. Well, our, I know your time is precious. We thank you for investing your one handful of life in a mission that's bigger than you are and will last longer than we do. Well, and I, I love th- what you're doing, your advocacy, the important work of the food banks. And, you know, I um, I'd, I wish we could all work together to, to have you guys go out of business because you weren't needed anymore. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely would be right. I would yeah, be the first so, one in yeah. line to get training for my next yeah, job. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so... So let's work towards that goal. We'll do it. We'll do it for sure. This is Food for Thought. She is our United States Senator, Debbie Stabenow. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back to wrap up this show in just a moment. Thanks for being with us. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, everybody. Food for Thought. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, we come to Mackinac to help to have conversations in order to change the conversation. What's the most dynamic conversation you've had this week? Well, that's a really good question because there's there's lots of dynamic conversations. So, um, so I think probably the most dynamic conversations right now are with the uh, the folks who are hoping to get elected, mm-hmm. you know, and and all the buzz around what is their platform and and what are they going to say about particularly food insecurity and is that going to be something they're going to care about? And I will say it is very clear that people want this problem solved. People across the political spectrum mm. want this problem solved, and what they're looking for is solutions. 
They're looking for practical things they can do that are going to move the needle with demonstrable results, or demonstrable if you prefer that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to me, that's the most dynamic because it's the one that has the most pieces in it that have to be put in place. But we are getting farther and farther every year on, well, what are the solutions? So we got um, the IQF project this year and more frozen food coming into our network. That's millions of pounds of solution. We know that the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System can reach more people with healthy food. That connects to education. That connects to health care. That connects to the other pilots that we're doing. And it's the best food, and it's good Michigan food, and it helps Michigan farmers, right? right? So those are the dynamic conversations that we're continuing to drive forward. And to me, putting those dots together and seeing it come to fruition, that's the most dynamic stuff. It's a lot of fun, isn't it? It is, and it's really important. And, you know, to be up here, you can't just come and hope to get it done all at once. It takes time, but we're spending the time and we're doing the stuff. Well, I think now from the parlor of the Grand Hotel, it's time for a little food for thought. And on your thought there, Jerry, that it takes time. Starbucks did not reach store number five until 13 years into its existence. John Wooden, the greatest college basketball coach ever, didn't win his first national title until his 16th season at UCLA. Howard Schultz of Starbucks approached 242 people to raise money and was rejected by 217. Walt Disney was turned down 300 times for a loan. Colonel Sanders went to 100 restaurants before someone bought his secret recipe. So when someone tells you that you can't do something or that you're crazy, it's not really because you don't believe that you can't. It's really because they don't believe. And that's why we have to change the conversation. So we start by believing in ourselves and we chase this dream of food insecurity like our life depends on it. Now we'll just watch what happens. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought. Find all of our shows at foodsecuremichigan.org. And until next week, remember it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.